Thursday, January 6th, Just Baseball Show. Jack McMullen, Peter Apple. We have about 50 minutes, like 55 minutes of Tucker Davidson. I thought it was going to be like 30 going into it, and then I was like, holy, okay, let's talk. Let's let's have a good time. I, I feel like not only was he such a smart baseball mind, but he's so relatable. Like, he's such a good dude. He was so easy to talk to. But before we get into the Tucker Davidson interview, I'm kind of upset. I freaking hate airports. I got in. I'm sitting on the runway for two hours. Jack, why? Why can't I walk onto the runway into the airport? Why do they make? Why do they hold you there against you? Well, I promise I won't sue anyone if I just am able to just walk. Okay, calm down. Let's let's work calm through down. this. I got in at no, three no, no. In the morning last Hold on. Night. I landed Hold at eleven thirty. Okay, I can tell. Uh, here you. Here's the thing. They do it in Europe, where you just get off on the tarmac and you make your way to the gates. Um, but you had tarmac issues last night. You flew back from Santa Barbara. You got in in New York. Which airport? Newark, LaGuardia, JFK. What are we looking at? Newark. Hell on earth. Horrible. Yeah. LaGuardia, I think is number one now. It used to be three, but now it's one. Newark is like, honestly, a solid two. I think JFK is, is the woat, but yeah, you had some tarmac issues. You, you get down and then you're just taxiing for like an hour and a half, right? Hour and a half. And then it takes another hour for me to get my bag. Then I'm standing in the taxi line. It was just an absolute disaster. Okay. So, so let me tell you this. All these airlines are having staffing issues. When I was out of the country with my girlfriend and her family, we had to wait about an hour and a half at baggage claim because the bags were there. They just didn't have the the numbers, like they didn't have the human power to get the bags off of the, the truck onto the baggage claim thing, like onto the baggage claim turnstile type thing. So like, it is just a sheer numbers thing. So I guarantee like, the workers that are at the gate were just not there. So you couldn't be there. So hopefully when all this COVID BS is done with, we can get back to normal taxiing times, which is about eight minutes. No, it's understandable. And this is kind of my platform to just vent. So that's, you know, why I'm here. I haven't been able to really yell about it, but I understand, you know, during COVID it's going to take a little bit longer. It's the name of the game. I'm just, I'm just a little bit exhausted, but what yeah. got me really fired up was talking with Tucker. I mean, he's a World Series champion, left-handed starter for the Atlanta Braves. It was just a fantastic conversation. No time to waste. Let's get to it. We welcome on Tucker Davidson, left-handed pitcher for the Atlanta Braves and a World Series champion. Tucker, it probably feels pretty good to hear that come out of people's mouths for the rest of time. Yeah, it, it's starting to like feel like, okay, I just kind of smile now when people say it, but I remember for like the first like two weeks, I was like, stop it, like, yeah, 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 like I just didn't believe it still, and then it kind of like sunk in eventually, I was like, wow, like I'm a World Series champion for the rest of my life, and 
the way like it kind of happened of like in my rookie year, just kind of that's something you dream of, of getting to pitch in the World Series. And it's something that I I just when it happened and you didn't really break it down until two weeks afterwards. And then you're sitting in bed and you're like, wow, this just all happened. So it was kind of a crazy turn of events, but I'm super thankful for the opportunity and hopefully we run it back next year. So Tucker world series champ, but also fake real estate agent. Uh, we both got the chance to listen yes. back to you with Jake and Jordan with Cespedes family barbecue. You said you roll with real estate agent as your career, when you find yourself in like Uber small talk. And I love that that resonated with me on like a deep level, because when I get in an Uber, like, and I'm not really interested in saying what I do, I'm just like, yeah, I'm a finance guy. Like, you know, pretty <laughs> run of the mill. Right? Yeah. Like pretty boring stuff. I know I need to kind of switch it up because I've, I'm getting a little nervous about this uh, whole like real estate and people want to be like, Oh, I want to buy a house or like, it's just the market's so big right now. And I'm kind of worried about that. So it's like, I might need to find a plan B whenever I'm in a, like a sticky situation like that. Yeah. It could be like a side hobby though, right? Like you just research different professions and you just go into it and like, you just decide which one you are on every given day. That's a good, that's a good idea. Just wake up and be like, Hmm, what should I be today? I'm going to be a farmer. I'm going to be, yeah. And, you know, just anything where it might just like bore people, but like, I'm not technically lying because I do own like a rental proper property that I do like Airbnb in my hometown. So it's like, okay. I'm not complete. I'm not completely lying, but it's also like, yeah, that's like kind of my like side hustle. And <laughs> yeah. I, I just have a little different job. And, and on that interview with baseball barbecue, you mentioned that you say that you're a real estate agent, obviously, but someone texted you, right? Someone actually texted you for a house. Yeah, yeah. So I was in an Uber and I was telling him like, oh, I'm a real estate agent. Just like, I can't, I think I was like in Atlanta or something where I didn't really want people to like, know, like, oh, like I play for the brace because people would get a little weird on that. And like, I've had like Uber drivers like turn around, but like, wait, really? And like been weird about it. So I was like, all right, real estate agent today. And he was like, oh my goodness, I'm actually in the market. Like what area did you do? And I was like, oh man, I lived in Sandy Springs last year. So Sandy Springs. And he was like, oh, that's exactly where I've been wanting. He's like, do you have your card on you? And I was like, uh, I just gave my number and I was like, here, like text me. And I, I felt terrible, but it happens a little more often than you think just because like random people have random things going on in their life and they might need a house. And it's like, Oh, well, I met this real estate agent. Let me call him because if that happened to me, I'd be like, Hey, like I'm interested in you looking for, like, do you still have something available for me? So that'd be kind of me. So now I gotta, I gotta figure something out. Hey, so you said you have that Airbnb property. You're kind of a property manager low key in uh, in Amarillo. Yeah. Yes. So I just drove three hours from Indianapolis to Chicago this morning and it was like 15 degrees with like 20 mile an hour winds. Are you in Amarillo or Dallas right now? And like, what am I missing out on temp wise? Uh, Dallas this morning when I woke up to workouts, it was 29 degrees. It was actually, it got better. It was like 40 by the time, like 11. So when we threw, so it was fine. But Amarillo, I think he got down to like nine a couple days ago. I mean, like the new year, like new year's hit and it was just like a cold storm hit like like emerald dallas area and it was freezing but like i'm kind of like i enjoy cold weather games especially at the first of the year i have like a little confidence because during the spring in emerald it was freezing in high school and like you still got to play like there's no getting out of it because it's a little windy and i want to say emerald was like a top 10 windiest uh city in america a couple years ago so like it's windy every day and either blow straight in or straight out so you better have it that day or you better get some ground balls. You better figure it out that type yeah. of thing. And so during like the early parts of the season, the cold doesn't phase me at all. I kind of feed off of it because I know I can pitch in it. I can get my mind right of like, Hey, you can go dominate these guys. Cause they're not going to want to hit. So like fastballs in here, you go like get your hands to the ball, that type of thing. I'm not afraid of going after guys. If 
a lot of people are like, oh, it's just cold. And I'm like, those hitters don't want to be out there as much as you do. So you might as well get back in the dugout, get next to that heater and just go on with it. Yeah. And do you, do you run into a lot of guys who come from warm weather climates? Maybe they go to Georgia and it's still warm there, but just can't handle the cold at all. And like, maybe Oh yeah. Well, so yeah, the biggest thing imagine. is the Latins can't handle the cold <laughs> because it's, they're in Venezuela and Dominican. Like it is yeah. absolutely like beautiful year round. And so they'll come up to like New York in April and they'll just be frozen or it'll be that first, like, I call it a cold day in spring training and it's like 55 degrees and everybody's like frozen and they've got like two hoodies on, like, like they're like, I don't want to do anything today. And I'm like, it's going to be like this in New York in like two weeks when we go play the Mets. So like, I just will figure out how to hit in this, but really the, the biggest ones are the Latins. I mean, you have like Ian Anderson's on our team. He grew up in New York. So like cold weather games are like his thing, but then you have the guy from Florida, like Tukey who cannot stand the cold. He's like, I, I'm, I don't want to be here today. I'm like, well, go put a beanie on and a couple jackets. We got to suit up and watch nine. Right. So before, before we get into the big baseball discussion, I saw on your Twitter that you had a feeling that Antonio Brown will be a cowboy. And we saw what he did running off the field with his shirt off and, and you're a Texas guy. And I know that the Cowboys are your team. If you're Jerry Jones, do you actually consider bringing him in? No, 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 no. You don't bring that publicity stunt there. No. I think AB is a fantastic talent, but over the course of the last like few years, like you've seen kind of everything like spiral out of control just from like the vaccine stuff to yeah. now walking off the field in halftime. It's like, how do you bring that guy in the locker room and say, this is a guy that's going to help us win a championship? Because like a lot of things, like w- the locker room is one of the biggest parts of putting together a team, just like how everybody bonds because you're bonding well in the clubhouse and you go out to the field and you continue that bond. You're probably going to be a pretty decent team, but we've all seen the, oh, the clubhouse is divided. Like things aren't going well. Like it's just not a good time. So I think, bringing him in like to the club to the clubhouse or locker room wouldn't be the smartest thing, especially about to go into playoffs and doing that. But I mean, he's an incredible talent. He's done well everywhere he's been. And it's kind of, I think his chances in the NFL are running a little slim because I just don't know how many coaches or owners are going to want to say, yeah, bring AB in. He's worth it. So, but it wouldn't shock me if Jerry did do that. You know, yeah, it wouldn't I mean, shock we are, we are the Dallas Cowboys. So and I was actually at the game and I'm like showing all my friends, like the tweet of AB and like, no way he just did that. And I was like, dude, I got a feeling like AB's going to Dallas. Like, <laughs> Oh yeah. Yeah. Whatever. I was like, I'm going to tweet this and see what kind of Twitter drama I could stir up. That'd be big time. Hey, I know Peter's got a fastball question for you, but before we get into that, you mentioned like clubhouse dynamic locker room dynamic, you guys, it, it seemed like from the outside view were world-class, like the best clubhouse dynamic in baseball at the very end. Like you were there in the world series. Mm-hmm. What was that dynamic like? Everybody just had each other's back. Everybody was kind of rolling on the same engine. And it didn't matter if you had a bad game. Somebody was there to pick you up to kind of, oh, like Ozzy didn't have like a good game, but Eddie was sitting right behind him and he was raking. So it was kind of like, hey, next man up, like continue to go out and play in the field. Like, oh, you didn't have a good outing. Well, you're going to pitch again next tomorrow and different things like that and it was just kind of we always had that and after we win we have the same songs going on I'm like the disco ball going we're having a good time you had the burgundy boys and it was just everybody was enjoying having fun and we knew we were the best team at that time we were playing the best and we weren't afraid of anybody I mean I remember it was either the Dodgers the Giants and everybody's like who do you want I was like "Ah, I think the I think the Giants I was like just don't really want to match up against like the Dodgers pitching I think we have a better shot against the Giants pitching and then we had to go play the Giants and everybody's like, 
we're better than them. We beat them in, I think we beat them in June and like August or so, some late in the season. And it was just one of those, like we were, we were rolling and we weren't afraid of anybody. And we're like, we go take a couple in LA. We, there's no way you're going to beat us in Atlanta. And that's what I think we knew is like, we can take a couple on the road. You're going to have a hard time beating us in Atlanta just because our crowd brings so much in energy and excitement. And we feed off of that. And just like late innings, we you never know with us because we can hit a ball off the chop house before you know it, and, and right. all of a sudden it's we're right back in the game. Yeah, absolutely. And before I ask um, about your pitch mix, um, I just have to ask, what do you think went underreported when it came to this Braves team? Because I feel like everyone in the media was kind of shutting you guys out after just 88 wins in the regular season, yet you had one of the top infields, a bunch of solid outfielders, an electric trio of starting pitchers, and an elite bullpen. I'm genuinely curious kind of what gives there. Honestly, I think if you look back at the whole season, I think you look at Freddie Freeman's numbers in like April and May where he was struggling. I mean, he was hitting balls. I think he had so many lined out at like hit 105 exit velo and he would just smoke balls right at the second baseman. Yeah. And then I think you saw like that turd of switch, like I think June hit and it was like, wow, he's hitting 375 this month. And then July happened. He's like, he's hitting 350. And it was like, he just continually got better. And that's what Freddie's always done. Like he's going to hit, he's going to find a way to hit 300 each year. That's just what Freddie Freeman does. So I think that was kind of the biggest thing was like, he was the MVP in 2020, 2021 starts out a little uh, rocky. And then it was just, he went off. So I think that was something kind of misses. Like he, he was our heart and soul. He's our leader. He's everybody who looks up to, he's been around the longest on the Braves. And it was kind of a cool thing to see him finally win it for Atlanta. And I really hope we re-sign him. I hope you guys do too. I just, what's taking. I don't, I don't see him in any other uniform besides the Braves, but I'm not the one giving out the checks. I, I, I would have thought he would have signed the day after you guys won the world series. And yet we're just, taken a while the lockout we're hearing rumors of the dodgers and i'm on tiktok live and people are like is he actually leaving i'm like no he cannot leave he cannot <laughs> leave the braves he's see that's what happens there. when you start saying stuff that people are like oh my god he's still gonna leave and they get yeah. tricked. I'm like no this is just hypothetical i have no idea where he's gonna go i just feel like it would be a disaster if he left atlanta he just is such an atlanta guy yeah i don't i don't want to see what happens so let's just resign him give him a pretty little penny and let's move on so talking about you, especially, because when we interviewed Jesus Zardo, whenever we have a big league pitcher, I always like to ask about your guys' pitch mix because I just I find it so interesting. So your average fastball in 2020 was 92, but it was 93 in 2021. And the average on your breaking stuff rose three and a half miles an hour since last season, according to Baseball Savant. And I see you working on your velocity, it seems like, every day on social media. Is that your main focus for 2022? And how do you think is the best way to go about it for some of our younger viewers or all the coaches out there? I think a lot of 2022 is just mainly about health. I missed three and a half months last year due to a forearm injury. So that's a big thing for me is I want to be able to log 150 innings as a starter this year. If I get moved to the bullpen, whatever the case may be. And it was just, I need to go the full season to be healthy because last year was the first year of my career that I was injured. So that's a big focus of me. Uh, I tendency to raise my arm slot and, that was kind of a big thing of getting my arm slot back into the normal position and then not putting so much stress onto the forearm and the elbow. So that was kind of been a focus this year, but with just like general things, like velocity was something when I was in college, I was like 88 to 92 on a, on a really good day, maybe even a little slower. I'm like, what are my bad days? But that was something I got to pro ball. And I, the first pitch I saw was Luis Mora 
and he hit 103 and I'm like what did I just sign up for like wh- why am I here I'm like a crafty lefty here with like a good breaking ball and that was it and so I kind of went back that uh off season that first off season I got after I got drafted and was like I gotta throw hard like if I'm gonna do this like I gotta figure out how to throw hard so I can just because I couldn't just blow it past guys in pro once I got to pro bowls like I gotta locate I gotta put I got to put the two seam down. I got to do this. So I was like, that's just not who I've always been. I've been an, Oh, I'm going to overpower you. Here's the big curveball. Good luck trying to hit it. And so that first like few off season was like, I want to throw hard. I was like, I want to throw 95 every pitch. I want to throw a hundred at one point. And I really got to the point where I was able to do that. And then just kind of as the years have gone, I've kind of found who I am and I'm really going to be in that 93 to 97 range. I'll go reach back and get it. But if I need to hit a spot on the inside part of the plate, I'm not going to overthrow it anymore. And that's something that kind of took a lot of time and a lot of coaches saying, quit overthrowing, quit overthrowing. I'm like, I'm not overthrowing, I'm just trying to throw it hard. But it was more <laughs> of the mindset of you got to drive it in there. You got to stay within your mechanics. You can't get out of whack and you got to be fluid and look like an athlete, not like you're jerking all over the place. So that became kind of a focus the later as I started progressing up into the uh the later minors because I just I knew I could go get 96 97 whenever I wanted it and it was like mm-hmm. can I find my happy medium of this is where my fastball plays best this is where my fastball doesn't play best how do I make this where I can repeat it as much as possible and and dude it's working like your your velocity is increasing year over year what are some of the best drills I guess for those players and coaches to increase that velocity I'm big on long tossing. If you want to go down the uh, weighted ball program, which I have been doing since I was in college, that was something when I kind of sat there and I was like, I got to start throwing a little harder because I, I didn't enjoy school always. And that's why I went to a Midland junior college. It was mm-hmm. kind of, Hey, go see if this baseball thing works out. If it doesn't, you can always transfer to a school and start your life. And I just was like, I don't enjoy school as much as I love baseball. Baseball has always been kind of my love. And I was like, I'm going to, I have a chance right now. I'm young. I can throw a ball very well. And it's like, I'm going to run with this because who knows when I'm 22, if I'm even able to pick up my, pick up a ball. So it's like, I'm going to take advantage of this while I'm young and able to gain strength and like that. So weighted balls became a big part of my program. And now I just kind of go through them more for like mechanical things, getting the arm in the right positions to in my, whenever my front foot lands, is my elbow up? Am I in the right position? Am I driving through the ground? And is it coming off my fingertips the correct way? And just kind of little things of cues of, okay, like for instance, this soft season, I'm trying to lower my arm slot a little bit. My, if you know anything about like the axes and everything, I was at 1145 last year to 12, which was incredibly over the top. And that's not my normal slot. So I was actually in dragging my arm up and then I would pull it across, causing it to cut a little bit. So I lost some of the life on like the, the ride on the, the back end of my fastball. So I'm trying to lower my slot into a nor- more normal position so I can get my hand into a better place and actually drive the full, we call it spin efficiency, which is like the full, every ounce of backspin on that forcing fastball. So that's kind of been a focus. And I threw my first bullpen, I was a little lower, but it was like, wow, I'm actually on the right track of not tilting my spine so much and getting my body in a better posture position. So I know a lot of lefties because I'm left-handed too, you know, grew up pitching through high school, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of lefties get that natural arm side run often, like lefties more so than righties. So when you're up top and you're cutting, it was probably flattening out a little bit, right? So do you feel like now yes. that you're dropping your arm slot, you're almost getting not necessarily, like you might not be able to see it as well as the horizontal run, but you feel like you're getting some of that vertical dive too? A little bit, yes. So if you ever... You ever watch Clayton? I'm sure you watch Clayton Kershaw pitch. He his ball doesn't run back over the plate like hardly at all. 
So if he right. throws a fastball in, it is in. So him and I have almost identical fastball metrics, just based off of the vertical break, which is the, the ride of it. And then the horizontal break, which is about two to five inches. League average, I want to say is like eight to 10. So our ball does not come back over the plate. So we have no fear of throwing it into like a riding and it leaking back over the plate. But if you throw it middle, middle, that thing is not moving and it's going to stay middle, middle. You're not going to get the, oh, it's going to go back to the, to the, your arm side or anything like that. So that's kind of been a, something I've been working on of just getting away from that where it moves a little bit just so I can like get out of the comfort zone. And that honestly came to me cutting the ball a little bit and not having that good full backspin and letting the ball in my natural slot do its thing and let it kind of explode out of my hand and get up and like get up at the top of the zone or at the bottom of the zone, whatever the case, the pitch may be. Hey, I got one more off season question for you because it sounds like you're already mm-hmm. working on a ton. Is there, you know, a certain thing that you wish you were doing sooner, like that the Braves keyed you in on, whether it's like something diet wise or something like a certain lift that you weren't doing that they keyed you in on that, that just kind of transformed the way you attack the offseason? A lot of it was mental preparation. Um, I didn't really learn the mental side of baseball until I got to about double A AA or triple A where you have to kind of think through hitters. You have to worry about, OK, what did I show? Like, for instance, Joe Adele was in double A with me probably one of the best hitters in the league that year and I remember facing him first two ABs I struck him out fastballs looking like he had no he was like why am I not getting this pitch try it again the third time he whacks a double off the wall and my pitching coach called me goes why'd you do that because you showed him the same thing for two times in a row and you never went to the curveball you didn't even show him a changeup and I was like okay I've got to learn the little things because if this is happening in double a it's going to happen in the big leagues even more so it's kind of learning how to navigate that Whenever things go bad, how do you handle that pressure? How are you going to handle when 40,000 people are yelling at you and you can't throw a strike and they're booing you? Or in the dugout, you got a guy chirping you, calling you, you suck, you blah, 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 you'll never make it, you're just a waste of talent, you're wasting all these people money. Whatever the case may be, that's going to happen. If you want to pitch in the big leagues, that's ha- that happens. And there's yeah. no going away. I mean, especially if you're in Philadelphia or New York, wherever – Everybody doesn't like Atlanta. I mean, we'll put it that way. They're not big fans of the Atlanta Braves. So they're going to try it. How do I get this guy up, get it, get him off his groove. And those are the things that really kind of took a big step for me. Cause I was always driven in the weight room. I was always wanting to find the next thing of how do I get better? And it kind of came down to analytically finding out what my pitches do, how much they move, where they're best located against certain hitters. If this guy doesn't hit the ball up, I'm going to throw the ball up. If this guy doesn't hit breaking balls well, well, my curveball plays well right there. Or my slider's better over my curveball, just learning those things and the mental aspect of being able to remember those while you're on the mound, trying to handle all this adversity. So we just talked improvements. Uh, Let's talk some successes right now. And I know Peter's got a handful of World Series questions for you. Mm -hmm. Uh, But quick thing from me, did you know what your ring size was before November? Or is that like a new number you just found out about yourself? Um, yeah, no idea. I've never, never, never worn a ring. I mean, I, I think I like, I don't even know what it is. I went into some store and I was just trying on like, yep, that's the one. <laughs> that's the one. They were like, and I was like, cool. Thanks. Send it over to them. And, and so before that, that we, was really about it. And before we get to the world series, and I even have another question about your curveball and your slider. I have to ask, cause you know, we're both on TikTok. Who's worse, the fans in the stands for the opposing team or the haters in your comment section on TikTok? Uh, the fans in the stands because so this is funny we're in philly this year and this is a tiktok question i guess you could say uh <laughs> we're in philly we're warming up and these like five kids are like 
heckling us. And they're like four feet above me, like in the way the bullpen's kind of set up in Philly, where they're kind of standing over you on the concourse. And they're chirping me, trying to read my stats. And I literally stopped my like plyo care routine and turned up there. And I said, if you're going to talk smack on me, you got to at least follow me on TikTok. <laughs> and I like made like a pretty viral TikTok like the day before. It was like that uh, the adult swim trend that was going on for a while. And they literally start freaking out. They're like, I follow you. Like, they had no idea who I was. And they're just like trying to chirp me. And they're like, dude, I love you. And they're like, you want a French fry? I'm like, no, I don't want a French fry right now. And then like, once you start engaging, yeah, yeah, yeah COVID. Yeah. <laughs> and then like they start engaging a little bit more and like, I get some like strange comments like in TikTok, but it's like all fun and game. And then they like, they try to tell you you suck. And I'm like, dude, like you're a major league. You, like you're feeding my fire <laughs> yeah, right now. Yeah. Like I haven't had anybody tell me I'm sucked in like three months. So it's like, you're feeding my fire a little bit, but like, it, it's just all fun and games. And like, I love TikTok because it's just such a place that you can interact with kids that are 12 to diehard fans that are 45 and it's just such a wide variety and I could do like a little silly trend of just throwing a baseball like I did yesterday on my like bullpen it was just like some song that was like catchy right now and I just put some lyrics to it or whatever the case may be and I just like learning like learning about different things of kids like what's going on because they're the next generation of baseball and I'm gonna be hopefully 35 in the league one day and looking back and be like he it's some kid that was in high school is like dude i followed you since you were on tiktok back then so it's kind of a good way to like grow your brand and kind of learn from that but yeah there's some haters out there but they they are they are funny and they fuel me it's just it's just funny the nerve of some of them because we, we interviewed bob costas um a couple months ago on the podcast and we clipped and it said like who is his favorite players who is his top five and just we have people saying, oh, no, Bob Costas is wrong. Or Tucker Davidson, the guy who just won a World Series, sucks. I saw Ronald Acuna, he, he posted a TikTok too. People are like, you suck. And I'm like, what are you even talking about? Like the nerve of some of these people. I'm just like, what is hurting you right now? That Like you're yeah. going through that. You have to just come at me. I'm just throwing <laughs> a ball, trying to like put a little bit of it like it just fun in your life of me like doing something like kind of cool or like me throwing off the mound for the first time like that and like throwing a really good change up and then throwing a really good fastball I'm just like I'm just there because I enjoy making these videos I enjoy looking at like all my bullpens and like looking how my mechanics and I know kids these days do too because like hype videos are so big and like TikTok and like Twitter and Instagram that stuff's just so big and I like to be able to showcase like, hey, this is my world. Like, this is yeah. what I do every day. I go out there and I work out in the mornings and then I go throw. And then I go to physical therapy or the chiropractor or whatever the case may be. Or I went on a date, whatever the case may be. That's just kind of one of those things that I enjoy, like kind of showing to the world because it's we are athletes and we are baseball players. But it's we have other lives and we have things and we we do care about like other things other than baseball. So and we need more of those kind of players um, like on social media talking to people about how amazing the game is because that's just sometimes lost I feel like in our sport but um, before we get immediately into the World Series I just have one more question about your pitch mix so your slider and your curveball is straight up disgusting that's just a fact I mean we saw it on full display in the World Series I mean opponents hit 118 off the slider in the regular season and 167 off the curveball and three pitches is plenty but I did notice you messing around a little bit with a changeup and a sinker do you think, are you going to try and implement some of those pitches in 2022? Or are you just focusing on kind of perfecting the fastball curveball slider? 
I, I feel like I'm getting to the point where I'm kind of at the point of per perfecting my craft of the curveball. After 2020, when the velo rose on both of those, it was mm -hmm. kind of, it was more of grip wise on the curveball. I was spiking the curveball and it made it really big and loopy. And I didn't like that because I threw it a little harder about 78, 79 and double A. And it was like, one of the best pitches in the league. Like, like it was like hitters would come up to me and like, dude, I'm glad you didn't throw me that curveball there. Like I was striking out or like, they're like, dude, I don't want to hit off you today. Like it got to that point where it was like, I kind of knew and I was like, man, I'm getting good at this and perfecting it. And then it like after COVID, it just wasn't the same. It didn't have the same bite. So they're like, Hey, let's try making it a little bigger. So it separates with the fastball. And it just didn't really work out. I felt like I had to place it. You couldn't just really rip it. And 2020 was the first year of me throwing the slider. I had kind of messed around with it in college, but it was really just a curveball. And then I watched Max Freed, and then I've been a big fan of Clayton Kershaw, and they both throw sliders that are very horizontal. I was like, I'm going to learn that. So yeah. I tried all during quarantine trying to figure out this slider because I kind of debuted it in spring training, but then it got shut, shut down before I could really kind of, hey, how do I make it do this, this, and this. Found a grip, showed up to summer training, and – they go, where did you learn that? And I was like, it's just all I worked on. Cause I was like, I didn't have a changeup that was very good in AAA. And I got exposed when I didn't have my fastball or didn't have my curveball that day. I was like, I got to have a third pitch to be a starting pitcher. So that's when it really took off. And last off season, it got to the point where it was like, I knew it was going to be at the bottom third of the zone. I got really comfortable throwing it. And then I asked in my meeting, I was like, how often should I throw my slider? And they're like, uh, probably like 20%. And I think a week goes by later and like, no, you're going to throw like 35 to 40%. Like it's really good. And I think it's going to play well for yeah. you this year, but yes, yeah, been working on a changeup. It's taken me for really since college to like learn a big league average changeup. It took me a million grips and I kind of found one where I can make the ball spin sideways, the opposite way of a slider. So when you pronate, you come here and you're basically turning the ball over like that. And you're going to cause it to rotate the opposite way. Versus a slider, you get on this side and it's going to go this way. So you're trying to make it separate like this. So I'm really trying to figure out how to make that ball pronate. And I got it up to like 20 inches of uh, horizontal break yesterday. Just need to kind of kill. Wow. Just need to. Yeah. Which is like up there towards like, yeah. I think Strasburg's got like the best analytical change up and it's got zero inches of vertical break and 20 inches of horizontal. So it's just straight down. Disgusting. And just really just trying to kill that uh, vertical break so it drops a little bit more and it's not so flat and it has a bigger separation between my fastball and like slider and everything. It just has a little bit bigger separation, essentially. Hey, hey, one of your teammates, I mean, like on a national stage, his changeup was like exposed to the world, right? Like Ian Anderson has one of the best changeups in baseball. Did you bounce any ideas off Ian when you were working through that? Yeah, his big thing was just the arm speed. And we like we came up the minors. We played in every level together. And I remember in high A, he like low A, he'd had like a good curveball and he threw 95 and he's got the good extension. So nobody could hit him. And then high A, they were like, you got to find a changeup. And he had started to develop it towards the end of the year. And we're like, wow, that thing's gotten pretty good. We go to double A and this thing is unhittable. And we're like, what happened? And this is like right on the brink of like us getting very analytical. And we're like, why is it so good? Brought in a new pitching coordinator that next year after double A and they broke it down for us. They're like, you throw a fastball at 12 o'clock, but your changeups at one o'clock. So it looks identical. And then it just splits and all they see is fastball, fastball. And then it's not. And they're like, 
what the heck? And it was, and the biggest thing was like, he found the grip. The biggest thing is a grip and keeping the arm speed and just having the full confidence of I'm going to throw it at the catcher's chest. And if I get my hand in the right place, it's going to do the action. And so he put it on a national stage. And I mean, it's, it's one of the best pitches in baseball, especially Seriously. if you look at it just compared to his curveball and his fastball, like it is up there with, he's got elite stuff and it's been awesome to be his friend for the last five, six years. Yeah, that's phenomenal. So paint us a picture. You know, you're a World Series champion now. And I heard a story on Baseball Barbecue, um, how game one, when Chuck Morton went down, ended around midnight, unfortunately. But you got a call at 1245. So you know it's down to you and Tukey to go to the World Series. What's going through your head in that 45-minute span between the end of the game and that call? Uh, get your room together because I literally just had like suitcases because I had to move out of my apartment. So I just had suitcases everywhere. I was like, all right, get your room together. Um, figure out how you're going to get your stuff from the field. Cause it was at the AAA field. And I was like, okay. And I'm like, everybody's starting to take care of it for me, but I'm just like, head starting to spin. And they're like flight times here, flight times. Like you got an Uber to Truist, which was 45 minutes from the hotel I was staying at in Gwinnett. So I drive to Truist, drop my car off. I let them know I was going to be there at like 5.30 in the morning, Uber to the airport. And I'm like in Houston by like 11 p.m. And I'm just like, I got all my brave stuff. And people are like looking around the airport like, what's, what's going on? Like I'm sitting first class, smiling. I'm going to World Series. And it was just like, it just it happened so quickly. Like I'm going out for BP and I, my heart was just like, it was like off my debut again. It was like why am I pumped up for BP? And it's because like, I had done it in like three weeks since AAA ended. And I was just like, wow, like all this is really happening really quickly. And then I got in trouble before game six. I, I guess you call it trouble. Uh, I was throwing like so many balls out during BP, the stands, because like, they would hit them in the gap and I'd walk over and they're like screaming at me. And I'm like, yeah, here, I just throw it up there. And I guess they were like on the, like about to run out of balls by like the last group. And like, they were giving me so much like, so much crap for it whenever i walked in they're like oh just giving all the way ba- all the way to baseball is they want to help any of your guys get better to win the game and i was like they just hit seven rounds like come on but it was just all fun and games and it's been it was a crazy experience getting to win like in texas like where i grew up but i also know like atlanta might have burned down if we would have won that on game five like i was a little worried like that might happen yeah so world series game five you're on the bump to start the game you get a lazy fly out from Altuve. You get a walk to Brantley and you get Cray to ground into an inning ending double play. And I've heard you talk in interviews about the importance of slowing the game down. You're talking about the beating of your chest in, in BP. And it seemed evident that you were able to do that. Can you talk to the importance of going pitch by pitch? Because when we talk to big league guys, the importance of pitch by pitch is so evident when they talk and why slowing the game down is so crucial in huge spots like that. I mean, I get a le- I get a lazy out, fly ball from Altuve. Then I walk the next guy. I'm still in an opportunity to get a ground ball. Had I caved in and been like mad about, oh, I walked him. I'm I'm mad about this. No, it's hey, let's get ahead here. You're gonna throw first pitch curveball. Throw a first pitch curveball for a strike. Boom, you're good. And I think it's kind of navigating. Anything can happen. Like you can have an error like that. And now it's first and second. And then kind of if you let things spiral out of control you don't ever get to be in control of the game. And you're the one that's starting every at bat. You're the one saying, all right, I'm going to throw a fastball here. I'm going to throw a slider here. You, you are in full control. You're like the quarterback. You make all of these things happen and just breaking it down and slowing it down to, all right, breathe. What am I trying to do? Fastball in. Okay. 
and you deliver it and you execute it and you're like, okay, how did he swing on it? Did he yank it down the line? Do I need to throw something soft away? And just, if you start thinking two pitches ahead and like, you can't strike anybody out until they get two strikes. Yep. And if, if you're just wasting pitches and you're three, one to everybody, cause you're just trying to throw the best slider of your career instead of trying to be like, all right, slider first strike here, curveball first strike, fastball in, whatever the case may be, move his feet. Oh, I need to do this. I need to do this. If you don't slow it down. You can't do all those things until you actually like hone in on, this is what I do. Well, this is what I don't do. Well, I need to stick to my guns and be, fastball here whatever the case may be so it's really just like calming yourself down and not getting too excited in the moment or letting the game slip away from you because we've all seen pitchers out there and you're like oh he doesn't have it the mind starts wondering and the next thing you know the manager's calling to the bullpen hey get so-and-so ready he doesn't got it tonight and that's whenever bad things happen in baseball obviously when you get to the highest level of a sport whether it be major league baseball or the nba or the nfl like you're looking at a bunch of physical specimen but you also uh, are around some of the most mentally focused people on the planet and like have you ever had that break of focus where you're like holy shit i'm facing jose altuve in the world series right now like have you ever had that what is this life that i'm living moment uh yeah after uh adam duvall hit the grand slam in the first inning i like I go, so I get the double play and like all the emotions hit me and it was like, I got to let this out. And I just like, I, I'm not a big like yeller after I get like an out. And I mean, I let one out. I let a let's go and I'm freaking hyped out. And like, I come off the, the mound, I'm in the dugout and Josh Tomlin's in there. And he's like, how great was that? And I was like, you can inject that adrenaline into me every day of the week. Like I want it again. I was like, I want that feeling every day. Cause it was incredible. It just, I can't draw it up. I mean, it's right. one of those, like, you take the most adrenalized you've ever been in your spot and amplify it with 50,000 people in front of you. And that's the best way you can put it there. But I think when Duval hit that, I kind of, like, my heart, like, stopped and was like, oh, you're in the World Series. Like, you're up four to nothing now. Like, you need to go take care of business. And yeah. I think it was one of those. And, like, they're still a very good team. And I think that kind of, like, hit me. I'm like, okay, like, you still got Bregman coming up. You still got – I can't even think like Brantley, you got everybody coming up. Like you you're still have Don, to make pitches. Yeah. 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 You, you're not done. Like you only threw the no. first inning, like you still got to do some more work. And that's kind of one of the, and I knew it was like, Hey, get us as many ounces as you can. Like the, everybody knew, like we were in a tight spot. We were going to bullpen the game and it was, Hey, like you're the starting pitcher, go do your thing. Like if I went five innings, it's way different. It's a different story than if I went the two innings that I did go. So it's kind of one of those, anything can happen in this game. And, that's the that's the beauty of it. And that Houston lineup was just so incredibly they rake, loaded. They, they rake. rake. So and I know that it's tough for you to say, oh, yeah, we can't let this guy beat us because they're nine deep. Even Maldonado at the back end was like actually getting hits. But was there a person, I guess I kind of contradicted myself, but was there a, a player that you thought to yourself, well, I absolutely cannot let him beat me? Not so much during the World Series, kind of earlier games. Like, I remember we faced Philly, and I was like, I'm not letting Harper beat me today. It was yeah. the first time we had faced, and I was like, I'm not going to let Harper beat me today. I was like, I don't care if I walk him three times or if we face Soto, I walked him twice. I was like, I'm not going to let uh, Juan Soto be the reason we lose today. I'd yeah. rather something else, and that's kind of the case. And I think in the World Series, just kind of make that when it comes available of, hey, I got two outs with two runners on second and third, and I'll two ways up. That's the guy. I'm not going to let him beat me today. That's kind of, I think, so it kind of just kind of goes in waves of this guy's not going to beat me today, but everybody kind of has their, during normal games of this guy's not going to beat me. That whole lineup was like, I'm not letting you beat me type of, 
type of thing. So, but I mean, I guess if we had to pick one, it was either Correa, Correa or Altuve, just because they're they were the heart and soul of that lineup, and everybody knew exactly. Everybody's screaming at Altuve and yeah. Correa, so you kind of you want to do that for yourself and also for the fans and getting the fans back into the game. Tucker, I got. Yeah. yeah, I was just going to say, Kyle Tucker is so good. Jordan, I, we think, is going to be a Hall of Famer. Like, there is no resting <laughs> yeah. in this lineup. There's just none. No, it just kept going and going and going. I was like, oh, we're flipping up. Oh, uh, two days here. Right. Right. Tucker, I got one more World Series question for you. It, the night shift was, like, nuts in the postseason, right? It was, you know, Matzik, Minter, Jackson, Smith. That was the back end that was just dynamite. I know Matzik refers to himself on Twitter as Nutsack. Have you ever looked him in the eyes, like grown man to grown man, and called him nutsack? No, no, he, he won't. He won't get that from me. No, I'm not gonna look at him like, "What's up, nutsack?" I mean, I think somebody like <laughs> joked around it, and I want to say, oh, "What's the?" Uh, there's like some trimmers, um, the lawnmower. What are they called? Uh, oh, manscape. Oh, manscape. 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 <laughs> I want to say he did like a deal where they were sending him a bunch of stuff, and that started like that story started blowing up, and I was just like, "You're this is awesome." I mean, like, yeah, the Burgundy boys, you got. I think Minter, we were calling him the techno cowboy. Like you got Will Smith out there. You got slider man. I mean, that it was just one of those bullpens that everybody was so tight together and everybody was enjoying being around each other. And it was at the point during that playoffs, it was like, man, if we, starter goes five, like we're set, like we'll roll out Minter, then we'll roll out either Matzik or uh, Luke. And then Will Smith's on a freaking burner right now. So we're right. going to shut it down in the ninth. So it's like, get us to that point. And that was kind of, I think everybody's goal. Dude, I bring up 2015 Kansas city often because like if the starting pitcher got them through six, it was Herrera Davis Holland. And then the game was over. And that's yeah, what it felt like. It was, it's kind of like whenever like Mariano Rivera would go on like ninth inning and be like, Oh, Yankees won. All right. See you tomorrow. Right. It was just like, we're not going to beat them. We're not going to beat him. So yeah. I mean, like seeing like, just like them hit that switch, like the fourth inning when they get down there and, they kind of start feeling like, okay, like it's about to be me and just like their energy and like the lock, like getting locked in. I was just like, this is, this is it. Like you can't beat this at all. Like good luck. Yeah. And, and just to take a small step back, I read an article on MLB.com um, that came out a couple months ago that you passed your teammate, Kyle Wright, who pitched in game two for the longest gap between a big league appearance to a world series game. Cause you were injured with that forearm. 138 days. I just can't imagine how it felt to step on the mound after such a long period of time away. Can you explain what kind of preparation you were doing to stay on top of your game with that lengthy of a time period? So I'll, I'll just break it down from whenever I got hurt because it'll be a little easier to understand. So got hurt June 15th for six weeks, didn't touch baseball. It was, hey, we're going to calm this down. We're going to get you built back up and we'll go from there. So after six weeks of not throwing, it was, I think, another month in Atlanta throwing and then another month in uh, Florida kind of doing baseball things of, hey, we're going to start doing bullpens. We're going to start getting you ready and start being able to pitch against hitters and that aspect. So past all that, and I think there was a week left in the season and they're like, do you want to go to AAA and do a rehab start? And I said, yes. I was like, if I'm going to be hurt, like I want to know in a real game and be able to walk up and I'm like, all right, I'm hurt. But if I walk off that game, like I am healthy, it'll help me sleep at night. It'll help everything. I'm not worried about my arm. Like, oh, does it hurt today? Am I just making up this pain? Am I doing this? Is it just sore? Whatever the case may be. And so I think that was October 3rd. 
so that was the first game I had kind of pitched. And I was amped like that first inning. Cause it was like, all my friends were in AAA. Cause like Kyle Wright was down, Kyle Muller, Tukey had just got sent down. Like Camargo was down. Kipnis was there for like a little bit. And like, we had such a tight bond at the first year. And so everybody was there. So I'm just like, I'm feeling myself. I'm like, I strike out like two guys in the first inning and I'm pumped. And everybody's just like, okay, like you didn't miss a beat. And then the season ended and they asked me to stay for the taxi squad to, in yeah. case something happened for injuries, yeah. but each round you can switch up the roster. So we were kind of in a competition down at the taxi squad, but also in competition with say for instance, like Dylan Lee and like uh, Santana, who was kind of down there at the first of the like, playoffs. It was just kind of like one of those, like, okay, if they don't pitch well, like it might be an opportunity for them, but if they pitch well, or we need a starter this round, we don't need a starter. I think the first round we did need, four starters so they only took three and they took an extra bullpen on so i knew i wasn't going that round but i knew when we had to play the dodgers they might need a four starter and then if we made the world series they might need a four starter and so we were always in competitiveness of just doing it was i think 12 of us like six pitchers like four hitters a couple coaches and we were just all like i was throwing to matt tuyasasopa who was the uh triple a manager for the gwinnett strippers this year he was the lefty because we didn't have any left-handed hitters down there so like I'd have to be like, hey, you got to get in for like at least two batters today of my 50 right. pitches. So I right. see like a lefty and I don't get called up. And I'm like, oh, I haven't seen a lefty since June. This isn't good. Yeah. Now so, Kyle Tucker's up. <laughs> yeah. Now, yeah. Now Kyle yeah, no. Tucker's up. And I'm like, oh, don't groove him a heater because he will hit it out. But I think there was a game. Kyle Wright was down there for a little bit. And our manager, uh, Tui, I think he got like three hits off of Kyle Wright and I like it within like 70 pitches for both of us. And we're what? literally sitting there and like, what do we do at this point? Like, I think it was like Kyle threw a really good sinker and he like kind of hits it over the third baseman for a base hit. And he like kind of hits one up the middle off of him. I hung a slider and I'm literally sitting there. I'm like, what is going on right now? And like, it's just one of those things. Like if, if you got it, you got it. You can do it anytime. Yeah. And um, I, I, I did see that you haven't had a ton of success as a hitter so far in your career no, no 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 i heard you say that you were 0 for 10 with 10 strikeouts but then i heard on the broadcast um of game five that you were 0 for 7 with 7ks from joe buck but you know hey i uh, mean i'm counting my triple a abs as well because those still kind of count in my mind of like hey did you get the fun down did you do? i only have like i think i only have like two bun attempts in my entire like since double a which was 2019 and it's kind of weird in the minor leagues like you don't hit unless it's two nl clubs so it doesn't matter yeah. if an AL club comes to you. So it's, you don't get consistent reps of it. And then you see 96 and you're like, man, I can't, I can't, how do I do this? And I was a good hitter in high school and actually went to junior college to be a hitter for a week. And then the, yeah. the head coach asked me, he's like, could you get a hit off yourself? I said, no chance. He goes, yeah, you're, you're a PO now. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> that, that, that dream died being a two way, but like I have a good swing and everything. And I think it was one of those, like I was coming back from injury maybe I didn't focus on it enough in the off season of like, Hey, I should probably go hit the cage. I should probably do these things. And a lot of it was just getting the timing down of like when my foot should down, when I should start swinging. And then they throw you a big curveball and you look silly and you're just kind of like, man, this is not that fun. So I'm in vote for the universal DH because I like watching Ronald Acuna uh, hit 450 foot bombs. Listen, Tucker, they cannot take away your 2019 uh, two hits and sub 50% K rate with Mississippi. Okay. They can't take it away. Good stuff. Uh, first hit I got was like a swinging bunt, like <laughs> hit it off the plate, goes over the thing, and I'm just chopping down the first. I'm like, yeah, let's go. And we had like a, a running, I guess you'd call it like a, 
little bet. Like it was like a hundred dollars from each guy, like to the first pitcher of the starting pitchers to get a hit. And we're thinking it's going to take us a week, week and a half. Oh no, it took us two months. Like Patrick Weigel got called up. I mean, we had like, it was going on and Kyle Muller does a swing and butt and gets it. And I think it was off of Jordan Yamamoto. And I was like, no, you're not getting that. Like that doesn't count. Like I want to, I want to hit. And so well, Kyle Muller, who was like, Kyle Muller, who was like national player of the year, like dude was obviously yeah, like a freaking good yeah, hitter. Especially from him. And like, if you ever get to see his, uh, his BP, like it's as good as Acuna. was like, I'm putting like his power <laughs> is unbelievable. Unbelievable. His hand-eye coordination is not as good, but his power is like, it's up there. He hits a ball off of Jordan Yamamoto, like 111, double in the gap. And he just like, he like hits whatever, like our little dance was at, at second. And he comes in, I go, yeah, you, I'll, I'll Venmo you after the game. And <sighs> So like he can hit a little bit and we're in Nashville this year in triple a and he hits a ball 117 for a base hit. And it like, it was one of those like shortstop didn't have time to jump. It was over his head and it almost rolled to the wall. And we were like, what just happened? And like, I want to say like somebody like tweeted it out and like, this was an absolute missile. So if you can find that video, like props to Kyle Muller, I work, we work out together down here in Dallas. So he'll probably, he'll probably be talking a little smack to me tomorrow about saying that, but it'll be all good. And to put 117 exit velos in relation to other big leaguers, Giancarlo Stanton, Aaron Judge, and I think Shohei Otani only were the only players in Major League Baseball this year to hit one 117. Also, O'Neill Cruz, that 6'7 shortstop for the Pirates, also hit a couple, which is insane. He's going to be crazy. But so he's a guy that I kind of want to ask you about of how he's going to be able to develop as a 6'7 shortstop. But we were talking about two-way guys. And I'm in the boat where I think Shohei Otani had the greatest season in MLB Oh, unbelievable. You can't write write that again. How... And we know how it was with the fans, but how was it with players in the dugout when you see him doing both and you know how hard it is to do both? It's unbelievable just kind of the things he can do. And I think everybody in the league's kind of, man, like you're going to win MVP like every year if you continue to do this. And it's kind of, you just got to stay healthy. Like we all love watching Mike Trout play. Everybody loves watching Mike Trout play. He's a fantastic human and he's an incredible beast out on the field. So we root for those guys. that We want success out of everybody. And it's kind of, we want you to be healthy. We want to see you hit BP. We obviously don't want to be pitching against you whenever you hit up 450 and we're all over sports center. And, but we also know what you're doing is so rare. I mean, I don't, I don't know. Brennan McKay was trying for a while, but I think Otani is just in a different realm of the world of, I mean, you're talking one of the best athletes to ever step on a baseball field just because he can throw a ball a hundred miles an hour off the mound with 500 pitches and, throw splitters at 93 miles an hour to make guys look like they're trying to hit Zach Grinke's curveball at 58. And yeah. it's just like one of those, it's like, it's something that it's rare. I don't know if it'll happen again because we've all seen it. It's been a hundred years since Babe Ruth played and we hadn't seen anything like that in a while. I mean, there's not many, it's like kind of like Bo Jackson. Like there's not many Bo Jacksons out there. There's right. So it's just one of those things. It's rare. It's awesome to see. And you, you just hope it's not against you. Yeah. Hey, what, what blows me away is just the speed of Shohei Otani. The fact that he stole 26 bases and he had one of the fastest home to first time. Yeah, like, that's, that's, that's where it's like, where it's I like, can't whoa. even. Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> I mean, he's going to be a career 270, 270, 270 to 280 hitter because he still strikes out, and but he's going to steal 20 bags if they don't tell him to stop doing that. And he's going to hit 40 home runs if he gets the opportunity. And you just hope he throws 150 innings each year. And I'm interested to see how like the, the lockout and the new CBA is going to be able to treat his 
contract because how do you pay an ace and an MVP? And I'm like, the angels can't afford to give him $90 million for the 40 he's worth (laughs) for pitching and the 50 he's worth of being a hitter. So I'm kind of sitting here. I'm like, how is he going to get paid? Like, how do you break that down? Especially like, I know, I don't think he's going to go through arbitration, but if he did, like, how would that dictate? Like, he's like Mookie Betts, but he's also like, Garrett Cole so it's like where do you kind of rank him and that's I think that's kind of the cool part about it is like he's just something we haven't seen in so long and never in my lifetime so it's something so rare and so awesome hey Tucker Davidson one more to wrap up for you Peter calls himself the Addison Ray of baseball TikTok uh if you were to comp yourself because professional athletes are often comped are you Charlie or Dixie D'Amelio which one's older? <laughs> I, I don't know if the youngest one's even 18, 16. so I don't want to start that. <laughs> no, yeah. just give yourself a TikTok comp. <laughs> yeah, Dixie's, Dixie's okay, older. So you, I don't know wrong. what the uh, – I can't think of his name. The guy that, like, people are trying to do something all hard, and he just kind of, like, does his, like, hands oh, noodle. out there. Oh, the pug, the noodle. No, no. Give that, me that guy. That's, that's my comp. Yeah. Oh, is that the Bones Day dog, the no yeah, Bones yeah, Day? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, That or the uh, – he's a diehard from danger. I want to say his name's danger. And he's like, Hey, listen. And he like gives you like some random fact after he shows you like a weird video. That guy might be my comp, but if, you can't be the Addison Ray. Come on. You know, I, I like to boost myself up a little bit. You yeah. know, I mean, technically maybe not, but you know, you got to shoot for the stars and maybe land on the <laughs> shoot movement, for the but, stars, shoot yeah. for the stars. Yeah. But just one more question about TikTok. Why do you think, because we don't see a lot of big leaguers on it. I actually made a reaction video because uh, Luis Robert, he was ha- he was having hip issues and he was uh, he was like dancing on TikTok. And I'm like, Luis, like we need your hips to be healthy and they look great uh, dancing. I, I'm just more curious why more baseball players haven't hopped on TikTok. Is there like this weird thing about it? I don't know. I just think it's because like, especially the big leagues, it's a lot of older guys that are 25 yeah. to 40 so that might not be the thing that might be something their kids are starting to get into or their wife's into so i think it'll start growing again like i saw bauer just got on it like i know Luis robert evan mendoza's in on it and like i'll have like random like uh tim anderson has one like i'll see like random videos of like dealers i'm like oh nice and during covid my agent sent me over he goes hey tiktok's this new app that's really growing you should get an account and start posting all your baseball stuff and i saw like how much engagement i got like on day one it's like, oh, like I can kind of take this and run with it and become, I wanted to, I kind of wanted to become the baseball TikTok guy that kind of became a goal after a couple months of doing it. And I was like, man, I can, I can be known for this. This, this can be like help start growing my brand. But I think, especially with all these high school kids starting to get drafted, that TikTok's really all they've known for the last few years in college, it's very big and it's starting to creep through the minor leagues. I think more and more will do it, but I mean, do you see Garrett Cole out there uh, doing like the trend unless his like wife made it? Like, I, I just don't see some I of those guys. Like, I don't see them doing like the dancing. Like, I don't know what they all do. Like I, I'm not a big dancer. Me neither, obviously, that's why I haven't. Yeah. yeah. So that's why I don't do any of the dancing ones, but I'm just like that. And then you have to keep up with trends and you have to consistently be on the app of finding something like that. So I think it's it's growing for sure. And I mean, that app's going to overtake Instagram probably in the next few years, I would assume, just on the rapid growth it's been on. Hey, Tucker well, Davidson, this was absolutely awesome. Thank you so much for doing this, man. Thank you so much for having me. This is awesome being able to talk yeah. baseball with, with two guys just like hanging out and enjoying it like we have always. So. And make sure to go follow Tucker on TikTok at Tuck Tuck. Did you have a different username before that? Because that's kind of perfect. 
Yeah, I was like T Day five six when I first show, uh, signed up, but my Instagram and Twitter are both Tuck Tuck. So I was like, hey, can I get this like switched to Tuck Tuck so it's just all the same and don't have to be like, oh, well, my TikTok's this and my Instagram's yeah. this. And it was like, I'm just going to be Tuck Tuck. Awesome, man. Well, thank you so much. And you're welcome back anytime. Well, thank you so much for having me on. So we did two things there. We had him say the word nutsack. <laughs> and we also had him go into horizontal and vertical drop of his fastball and how he's adjusting his axis. Get you a guy that can do both and he can do both. What are the podcasts out here doing that? Talking about nutsacks and then talking about horizontal movement. Tell me what podcast is doing that. Uh, us. Us. And I just thought it was hilarious how he's just straight up like, you're not the Addison Ray of TikTok, you pretentious bitch. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Maybe he's trying to quell the ego. Maybe, maybe the ego's getting huge. We got to deal with that right now. And maybe Tucker Davidson's going to help. We're going to put up the intervention sign and we're going to say, listen, you are more of like the, uh, the kid that eats food and nods. You know who I'm talking about? That, that bites the fork. Uh, Tommy Winkler. He's the kid that like, he, uh, he gets challenged to like eat something for the whole day. Like he'll go to a state and like eat their foods for the whole day. And he'll like bite the fork and just nod. And like, that's oh, yeah. his full-time <laughs> job. <laughs> I think and it's like we're, we're out here posting multiple times a day, you know, doing all the research. And then there's the other people like Addison Ray and that kid eating or just eating and nodding or just like doing the freaking renegade and just like dancing a little bit. And they get way more than us. And we're like, should I just should we just start taking our shirts off? Like, what are we doing? How do we, you know, increase that shit? You can if you want. I'm going to keep my journalistic integrity. <laughs> I don't have any. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was gone a long time ago. <laughs> Oh, man. What do we have to look forward to in, in lockout winter tundra days right now? We've got uh, well, Katie Wu tomorrow. Yeah, the athletic. phenomenal. Katie Wu, our first interview ever when we were Project the Plate. Were we the Just Baseball show then or were we still Project the Plate? Mm, I think we were Just Baseball. I think we were the Just Baseball show, but we're going to ask her about all the Cardinals moves that we talked about because we know this is Cardinals week. I know we just talked to Tucker Davidson, um, Atlanta Brave, but we're doing more Cardinal stuff. We're going to ask her about the potential moves that we were talking about, about the Cardinals roster moving forward in 2022. I'm going to ask her if Tony Kemp is the difference maker and if Brad Boxberger is going to be the best reliever in the Cardinals pen, because I think she'll agree with me. You can ask me if you want. Go ahead and ask me. Hey, Jack, what do you think about Tony Kemp? I think you're high. <laughs> I think you're on drugs. He walks. They don't walk. He walks. Just say thank you, everybody. Talk to you tomorrow. Thank you, everybody. At Highland, we're all about celebrating little wins and little ways to innovate digital processes. There's no customer pain point too small for us to help with. Maybe that's why more than half of the Fortune 100 looks to Highland to connect their content and data, improve processes, and turn little efficiencies into big wins for their customers and clients. Highland, intelligent content solutions for innovators everywhere at highland.com.